it's quite, quite emotional being back, isn't it? Seeing each other and being like this. Well, our theme this morning is the Bible, seeing it as uh, um, a way of life, really, a habit we can get into, a practice of each day, um, something that we can enjoy. And I'm going to ask you four questions this morning as we go through, um, just to hang my thoughts on. The first one is this, the Bible, why should I read the Bible? You know, for hundreds of years, kings and queens, scientists, prime ministers and presidents um, have sung its praises. Abraham Lincoln said this, but for this book, we could not know right from wrong. And Ronald Reagan said this, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems that we face in life. And one day, Queen Victoria had a visiting diplomat from the Far East come, and he said, Madam, your country is a great country. Why? And what she did was to cross the room and pick up a Bible, and she said to him, Sir, we are a people of this book. And D.L. Moody, the American evangelist, said these words about the Bible. He said, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And over the years, this incredible book, the Bible, has literally overpowered many vociferous, vociferous opponents of the Bible. I want to tell you a little bit about a famous man that you've all heard of um, called Albert Einstein. In 1916, Albert Einstein, the famous scientist, um, um, didn't like where his theories were leading him. His famous theory, the theory of re relativity, if he believed his own findings, would um, just establish the fact that the universe actually did have a beginning. And he introduced what his friends called a cosmological constant and a fudge factor into his equations to try and show that there was no beginning. But there were other scientists, Russian and French scientists, who were also as good as he was and were proving that he was wrong. So in 1929, Einstein looked through Hubble's telescope, quite a very famous telescope, a wonderful invention of that time, that revealed an expanding universe with a beginning. So Einstein's um, immortal words are these. He said, I now want to know God's thoughts and how God created the world. Wow! It was the Bible that brought this man in the beginning God to see this. Let me tell you about another man called Albert Camus. And he is the founding father of what is called modern day existentialism. He and a few friends came out of the First World War, uh, French soldiers, and they said, this world is chaotic. It's gone mad. We can't understand what's going on. All we know is that we exist. And they, with uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, they introduced to the Western world this theory of existentialism. And uh, basically it says this, if it feels right, just do it. Express yourself. Now when my wife Ginny and I were working among the students at Parma University, at Bologna University in the 1970s, this was the philosophy of life. It was there all around us. And it became a damaging philosophy that's affected young people right up to this present day. 
What many don't know was that Albert Camus, in his old age, was wandering through Paris one day, stumbled upon a Methodist church, went inside, was befriended by the pastor, and after several months um, came to be a believer in Jesus and gave his heart to Jesus. The power of the Bible was able to break through to this man. A world-famous atheist like Christopher Hitchens and Stephen Hawking um, have to admit that um, there are things that unsettle them. Students um, one day said to um, Christopher Hitchens, Sir, is there anything that Christians teach you about the Bible that distresses you or disturbs you? He said, actually, he said, it's the fine tuning of the universe that is something that we cannot understand. And Stephen Hawking, the Cambridge um, scientist, um, the handicapped scientist, say, uh, scientist, said this, if the overall density of the universe were changed by 0.000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
Luke, when he, when, he, when he writes, he actually apostles, quotes names, dates, places, times, people in high positions, low positions, and archaeology, when it's unearthed, um, its findings reveals that these were actually men and women of those times. Fourthly here, um, Jesus is quoted and named by many secular historians, many in the early centuries, including Tacitus and Josephus. They say he was an uh, actually an an historical figure. And so does H.G. Wells and uh, many other um, people who were and were not Christians. Um, my second question is this. Which is the correct Bible to read? Uh, people say, well, aren't there many Bibles? What's the correct Bible to read? Over the past 400 years, quite a number of translations of the Bible have been, have, have been made. But all the translators have to go back to the original documents of the Hebrew and the Greek. They are what they are. And, uh, and what they've done is to um, translate the scripture and then another generation has updated that into more fluent English or whatever the language is. Uh, in the UK today, people have in their homes um, quite a number of translations. Um, for example, I, in my house, I have the King James Version that was made in 1611. Um, I don't have a revised version. That was a version from the 1880s. There was a revised standard version from the 1950s onwards. The New International Version and the late 20th century. There are American versions as well. The Good News Bible and the New English Bible. Then there are such things, and um, I put up here, uh, like the Message and J.B. Phillips' book, um, and, and the Living Bible, they're paraphrases, just bringing into more readable English. Most pastors would have their own Bible that they read and they draw from and they make notes in, but then they would consult the paraphrases to have a more deeper understanding of, uh, in a perhaps a more up-to-date English, of what it, the text is saying. So, and then other people, for help, they read the word for today, and you've got these little daily bread notes, and there are various kinds of these. I think there are half a dozen of booklets like these, which people can read on a daily basis to help them understand the scriptures. Well, the question is this, what can help me in my approach? What can, how can I really understand the Bible? Um, I begin to talk now to people perhaps who are coming to the Bible um, not for the first time, but are wondering the riches of the Bible. How can I begin to understand them? Well, let me talk first of all about a disciplined approach. You can just take the Bible and read it from Genesis to Revelation, going through it on one long haul, one long run right through it. Or you can read the Bible, one chapter or two chapters uh, uh, in the Old Testament. Um, if you're starting right from scratch, you can read, as it were, Genesis, a chapter or two in Genesis. And when you finish Genesis, then start with Matthew. And then when you finish Matthew's Gospel, come back and start with Exodus. When you finish Exodus, um, that's when you go on to Mark. Um, that's the method I use, but I sandwich the Psalms and the Proverbs in between. So, um, whereas I read the scriptures every morning, 
of an evening, I would read three or four psalms or more, or finish the psalms, I would be going through the Proverbs. So I'll be going through psalms and Proverbs right through the year, but reading chapters of the Bible. And then if a church says to me, would you please come and deal with Romans chapter 5, that's what I would do. Um, I can't recommend um, highly enough David Pawson's, I've mentioned yes you notes, um, thirdly David Pawson's Unlocking the Bible. I don't know whether you've ever come across this, um, across this series, but I <clears throat> would place David Pawson as the best expositor of scripture um, that I've consulted, and he's brought out a series called Unlocking the Bible, and he's gone through every book of the Bible, uh, for example, if you want to know what Isaiah's about, um, you could just put on his talk about Isaiah, and in a 50-minute message, <clears throat> he will give you the, um, the background to it, why it was written, um, its main teaching, and how to put it into practice. And you can go onto YouTube and just type in David Pawson Unlocking the Bible. You can start with Genesis and then go right through. It is a fantastic understanding of Scripture. Then there are Bible commentaries. Um, for every book in the Bible, there are men, men and women have written many commentaries. So again, if a church were to say to, to Ben or to Matthew or anybody here who does any preaching, we'd like you to speak on, <clears throat> on, on Genesis, on the opening chapters. Well, you can go get a, a commentary, two or three commentaries, four or five, that deal with this. And then just go to YouTube generally and to listen to the gifted preachers of yesteryear, Billy Graham and Dr. Do uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, <clears throat> to listen to some of the Bible expositors of today. There's a wonderful Jewish man called Amir Safati. I listen to him several times a week, I'm just going through teaching the scriptures, <clears throat> seeing things from a Jewish point of view. Fourthly, uh, is this, so when I read the Bible, what is it that I should be looking for? I want to suggest that there are three areas of growth in coming to the Scriptures um, that will help us. And um, first of all, we read the Bible to have growth in grace. Here are seven questions to ask ourselves. What do we imagine that you've got in your hands 2 Timothy and chapter 3? And uh, <clears throat> you're reading, you've arrived at, uh, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, one, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And uh, you've read those chapters in the morning. <clears throat> and you say, Lord, how can I understand 2 Thessalonians? Uh, <clears throat> three chapters here. Um, I want to know what it's all about. <clears throat> you can first of all ask, is there a sin here um, to confess? Well, there is. Uh, chapter 1, verse 11. Lord, I don't think I've lived... Recently, you can say in the way that you're um, mentioning here, where it says that I've got to live worthy of your calling. The Lord, please forgive me. Secondly, is there a command in this book that I need to obey? Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 15. Stand firm and hold to the teachings. And is there a, is there a promise to claim? Yeah, there is. I can share chapter 2, 14, Lord. You want me to share in your glory. Number four, is there a prayer to pray? Well, yes. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. That the gospel may go and spread rapidly. Is there a warning to heed? Yes, let's not be idle or busybodies. 
Is there an example to follow? Yes, chapter 3, verse 7. And what is the major lesson I can learn from this book? So <clears throat> we're, coming to, we're coming to the Bible. Uh, we're reading here, we're finding here. Um, so all these understandings that can help us to grow in grace. Then secondly, <clears throat> we can ask ourselves, how can I grow in knowledge? We get what the Bible, when we read the Bible, we get what is called a biblical world view. And we see all of history and all of the present and all of the future from God's perspective. And we receive answers to the major perplexities of life. Let me summarize these, summarize these under four headings. And that is what we're going to get from the Bible when we get to... Um, and when we want knowledge. First of all, a knowledge about origins. People want to know where we've come from. Um, was it by evolution? As Darwin believed, there are forms of life developing into higher forms of life. Is it as, um, uh, as many of the philosophers believe today, while we're here because of visitors coming from another universe? Um, or... Are we here by God creating us in his own image? And it's the latter understanding that, that I've just mentioned that the Bible gives us. And atheists have problems with this. Let me talk to you about, let me mention, I don't know whether you've ever heard of a guy called Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley was a, um, a philosopher, uh, a very uh, wise so-called man of a generation ago. <clears throat> but he said this, I wanted to believe the Darwinian idea. I chose to believe, not because I chose to believe it, <clears throat> not because I think there was enormous evidence for it, but because it delivered me from trying to find some answer to life, and it freed me <clears throat> from my erotic passions. Now that's the reason. That's the reason that Huxley actually. Um, embrace Darwinism because if you embrace the God of the Bible you're going to embrace his worldview his way of life and his understanding so the Bible is giving us our answers to origins on the creation of the universe it gives us origins on the answer to evil that Satan is the origin of evil and of um, and the devastation of the world and behind it all behind all the decay the disease and death and Adam and Eve are the origin of the human race. The Bible gives us answers to this. And then the Bible gives us answers to meaning. As we grow and develop, it will tell us um, what life is all about. And um, some people say, well, the way to understand life is to turn inwards like the Beatles did, and go to India and to go out to Tibet and to try to get deep, uh, go deep down inside of us to try and find <clears throat> the meaning to life. Philanthropists try and do this. But the Bible says you're going the wrong way. What you need to do to find meaning is to reach out to the living God, to reach out to him. And that's where the answers lie. <clears throat> to be filled with a passion for life. The Bible gives us answers to morality. Uh, I find it so sad to see a generation of young people growing up with no clear understanding of right and wrong. Forgive me if I've <clears throat> mentioned this illustration before, but then 
<coughs> excuse me about this cough this morning. I don't know why I'm doing this, but my voice is going. Um, but Dennis Prager, um, <coughs> a Jewish um, exegete, went to a Jewish college and he spoke to a whole group of sixth formers and he said, um, he said the, Nazi, <coughs> the Nazis killed six million of us guys. Um, did they do right or did they do wrong? And there was silence amongst all these young, young people. And one, one, one sixth former stood up, he said, Sir, I, I couldn't agree with what he did, but I cannot say that he was wrong as a Jew. And Dennis Prager said, this is where the, the teaching of this generation has got our young people at, uh, at this point. They cannot understand right from wrong. They do not have absolutes. And um, that's where people are today. We need God's laws. And every nation and generation needs this. They dovetail with the conscience we have inside us. We need the Bible to give us answers to destiny. The Bible tells us all we need to know about the future. What will happen and where we're going and how the world will end. Um, the chaos of the end times. The world being psychologically prepared for the coming of the devil's Messiah. The judgments and return of Jesus. Heaven and hell. And people are longing for answers. Um, I have a, if I have workmen come to the home and I have people come, other people just drop by and uh, I had a, one of um, Ginny's carers <coughs> come by um, two days ago and we were just talking and I said to her, Sally, I said, you are like a lot of people in life. You're looking for answers to origin, meaning, <coughs> morality and destiny. And unless you get answers in these areas, you are going to be searching for all your life. The Bible gives us answers. Come to my last point. Um, the Bible gives us, if we read it, that we might have growth in character as well. <coughs> um, <coughs> I see Mel here this morning, and uh, he would appreciate the fact that uh, two years ago, Jill and I said to Elaine, um, would you like to come and have a, uh, have a bite to eat? And we took Eleni to um, Wife House, as it was, and we had lunch together. And I thought afterwards, this lady is beautiful. Her Christ-likeness is so manifest and so meaningful. And um, it was a moving time. And along the journey of life, I've met people like this. They've, the Bible, they've read the Bible. And not only has it given them information, it's changed them and made them better people. They've had this understanding. What's the point of having a lot to live on in life if I've got nothing to live for? And these people have made a difference to those that they've touched. <clears throat> this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. We should read it daily and to have an understanding of it. I don't know about you, but um, it, just, it depends on metabolism a lot. Whether you read the Bible at 7 in the morning at lunchtime, or whether you read it late at night, whenever is best. We need it to grasp the doctrines of historic Christianity. We need it to have our lives and our hopes strengthened, and to prepare ourselves for battle. And it will give us the difference in the knowledge between good and evil. It's a great book. I trust that it will shape you and make you, <clears throat> as we study as a church, that it will really 
help us to develop. I hope between my fading voice that you've been able to get something this morning. I certainly have to look into this while I'm doing it. Okay. Don't just pray. Father, your word is life, it's truth. We pray that it might be a lamp to our feet and a guide to our path, instructor of our minds, and it might be a daily habit for us to get into, to mold us and shape us in the way we should go. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.